0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Diaspora Radio. Hey guys, today we speak to Jake Resnick about the Uyghurs and the persecution that's going on with them in China. So, this is a super deep, very interesting episode. And we're just excited to share this with you so that you guys can understand what's going on and get involved with the persecution of the Uyghurs, really.
1: And uh, we're including a link in our bio, or not bio, In our show notes. (laughs) Um, That is a documentary on YouTube that we highly suggest that you watch and look into and do research on this because it's horrible.
0: Yeah. Very informative. Definitely check it out. And we hope you guys get a lot out of this episode. Yep. Thanks. Enjoy. Hey, guys. Today we are here with Jake Resnick.
2: Hello. Thanks so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Jake, for being on our show today. Jake, here is Jake's bio. He is currently a nursing student at the University of British Columbia, born and raised in Vancouver, and a very, very stereotypical Jewish upbringing. His first initial entry into activism was leading and evolving himself across many pro Jewish Zionist initiatives in his community, from protesting anti Semites to organizing the Vancouver community to rally around purchasing Israeli wines. I have been Focusing my activism efforts to bring attention to China's genocidal tyranny of the Uyghurs in Western China and the plight of those that suffer under the CCP's influence because I believe in the importance to act on the idea of never again. Hashtag never again. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on our show here today. Thank yeah, you thank you much really for having me.
2: I really appreciate it. I think I was talking to Sam a bit before, and I think what we'll do is I'll just go on a small little ramble about why i think this topic is so necessary and so crucial for everyone jews and non-jews to be included and be a part of and one of the reasons how i became the person i am today is through learning different things about china and before i didn't have these opinions and i didn't have these views but i think one of the things that not necessarily uh, you can see in the western world right now but definitely has changed over the past 34 years is the emergence of china like China is the second largest economy in the world. For the U.S., 25% of the exports go to China. And one of the things that separates China from the Western world is it the fact that it's a totalitarian, one-party state. And the tyranny that is happening in China is happening to, uh, to people that c- completely don't deserve what's happening to them. And I think it's almost incumbent and necessary on us to speak out against what's happening Uh, in China right now. And one of the main things I want to talk about is the Uyghur people who live in the area of Xinjiang in Western China. For them, they perceive it as East Turkestan. And one of the important things to realize is the Uyghur people are not Chinese, they're not Han Chinese. And in fact, over 100 million people in China are not ethnically Han Chinese. And um, specifically the Uyghur people, they have a different culture totally to the hand Chinese. They're, first of all, Muslim, and they relate much more to like people in Kazakhstan and Central Asia than they do to China, than the predominant Chinese population on the coast. And what I want to just get straight into and bring to the point is right now, there's an ongoing demographic and cultural, if not an almost overt genocide happening in Western China. And I know the word genocide is thrown around all over the place. And I know a lot of specifically Jews don't like it when that's when that's used, because we don't like it when things are necessarily compared to the Holocaust. But right now, the Uyghur people face the largest ethno-religious internment since that Holocaust, since the Holocaust of World War Two. And they have been subjugated to almost a state run dystopian project that's been going on uh, in different speeds since almost the inception of China. Like, just to give you a very quick example of what I mean, is in 1945, before this, the Communist Party came to power in China, the Uyghur people made up over 80% of the area which they live in today. Because of like Sinization, which is basically the process of making someone into Han Chinese, uh, right now the area that they live in, a little over 40% is now Uyghur. And this is not by accident, this is not a mistake, the Chinese government has been essentially pushing, uh, encouraging Han Chinese people, if not forcibly moving them into Uyghur areas, in order to essentially make them more uh, Han Chinese because they—that's a way for them to exert influence in the area which they live in. And you might be asking, why do they want to exert area influence in the area that they live in? The area of Xinjiang is super, super rich in resources such as coal, natural gas, on top of that, the new Belt and Road Initiative, which is basically China's way to get rich through uh, world trade. Uh, it has to go right through there. And if they, they need to have a monopoly on state violence and state influence in that area for it to be peaceful, because in the past, there have been uprisings, This has been separatist movements in this area. In the 20th century, there are actually two separate weaker states in this area. And obviously the Chinese government does not want that to happen again. And just to give some really simple examples of things that uh, Uyghurs face on a day-to-day basis, for example, they're not allowed, al- they're not allowed to drink alcohol, they're, sorry, they're forced to drink alcohol, they're forced to eat pork even though that's against their religion. Um, a, a lot of Uyghur women are actually coerced and forced into marriages with uh, Han Chinese men On top of that, they're not allowed from reciting Muslim prayers, often men's beards and women's dresses are cut so that they're not allowed to present themselves as like culturally Uyghur. And other programs exist where Chinese government agents almost or people linked to the Chinese government will actually live in Uyghur homes, like the Chinese government will force them to be in those homes. And if they notice that family perhaps expresses any sort of anti-CCC, anti-CCP, uh, opinions, they'll give a call to the local police and they'll be sent to one of the uh, suspected over a thousand concentration camps that exist. And a lot of these concentration camps are framed under the idea of like re-education. Um, that's totally just Chinese, uh, when Chinese state propaganda. Um, the conditions in these camps are actually like inhumane. They're more or less 10 people in a room, you may have just a bucket as a toilet. Uh, they'll be forced into labor in these camps and that's, we can go into later on about how the Western world is very complicit in the crimes that are going on. And right now there are around 2 million people in these camps. Various sources say more, various sources say less. I think that's pretty much in the middle of where it's at. And The, the concentration camps are just one of many Chinese state programs that basically what they want to do is have a monopoly, as I mentioned before, in that area. And one of the other strategies that they're doing is essentially preventing Uyghurs from being born. And what I mean by that is there's forced abortion and forced sterilization. And it's not um, the the abortion that we think about here in the West. It's basically what they'll do is they'll take Uyghur women and basically force IUDs into them, Or or if they're pregnant, they will just sterilize them because basically what the Chinese government wants is no Uyghur to be born without essentially the state okaying it. And this has already had, I would say, almost like a genocidal effect in the past five years. So we've seen the Uyghur birth rate, uh, sorry, population growth fall to about um, 0.2, which is a decline of about 80 to 90 percent, which is kind of like staggering even to think about. And the birth rates specifically in Uyghur counties in Western China have fallen anywhere from 30 to 55 percent, uh, which is also crazy to think about. Where, in context, for the rest of China, birth rates have fallen only 4 percent. So it's definitely something to think about. This isn't happening by accident. Um, for example, uh, abortions: 80 percent of abortions happen in the area where Uyghurs live, despite the fact that they only make up less than 3 uh, percent of the population. So. And there have been a lot of leaks happening from the Chinese government that actually confirm and show a lot of these uh, things that are going down and happening. And maybe we can talk about a little bit more about why I think it's very important for Jews to recognize what's happening right now. Because this isn't uh, the idea of a tyrannical state basically murdering us en masse, whether it be through direct means or indirect means is unfortunately part of our collective trauma and part of our collective history. And obviously there's so much more to China than like we can go over in this little podcast we have here because obviously the history of China is 5,000 years, but what's happening right now is today. And I think it's very incumbent on us to at least stay informed and take steps in our day-to-day lives to at least mitigate uh, the problems as best we can with the, with the systems that we have in place. So that's my small little ramble. And I guess we can go into a little bit more concrete questions
0: yeah i want to start by saying you you told us to watch this documentary a great documentary Mm -hmm. that kind of gave a very brief 50 minutes i think or 55 minute documentary giving a brief breakdown about what's going on with the uyghur people and i think it was interesting that it said that the uyghurs had been living in kazakhstan in that region for about a thousand years. And China Mm -hmm. had only come in rather recently at 250 years ago Mm -hmm. when they started to colonize. And if we could just kind of paint a map for our viewers who are listening to this podcast, Kazakhstan, where the Uyghurs would be is just north of China and just south of Russia. So the borders touch. So they're just a people that are in between those countries. So they pretty much, I mean, if you look at people that have been living in these, like if you look at indigenous peoples, I feel like their borders are, borders are abstract. You live within those regions and people will, they'll, they'll intermarry and so on. That's just natural. So it's kind of scary to see within this documentary that China actually has those borders that are enforced. And there has been people from Kazakhstan, Uyghurs that have gone in or even Muslims, because it's not just, it's also Kazakhs, but Uyghurs are the population they discuss within the documentary. But there is people that like in this documentary there's a woman who left her husband and three kids to go see her family in China because she had not heard from them and then the government just absorbed her essentially took her into a detention camp husband hasn't heard from her from her for years and this is something that we are seeing happen all the time like you had mentioned there are now 2 million people that are being withheld forcibly detained and China calls these camps vocational was it in? They are involuntary indoctrination centers, but China calls them like vocational educational mm-hmm. centers.
2: Yeah, which is yeah. They'll sing like like pro-China songs and learn and be forced to learn Mandarin. And that kind of is kind of what China's is doing. Is creating this like dystopian police state almost in um, Xinjiang. And like for example, journalists—it's very tough to get in. It's very tough to get a lot of information. And that, that documentary goes into it in such great detail and one of the, it just, it's just incredible the sheer scope of the things that are put in place. Like for example, I think it was about 10 million cameras are put in into this one region of China. And just the level of surveillance is something that's never been seen before on this earth in any capacity. Uh, I can give you a very simple example is like, if you are to buy a knife in, and if you're a Uyghur, it's different. there are very different rules if you're Han Chinese versus if you're weaker, But if you were to buy a knife if they're Uyghur, They'll essentially create an imprint on the knife that will, for, that will link that knife to you. They'll, and so if, let's say down the line, if that knife is used in a crime, they can link that knife directly back to you who bought it. And this happens in many different ways, like they're basically checkpoints in some areas that are every 500 meters. Well, they'll essentially through many different like facial recognition technologies. They'll even sometimes take your DNA and your blood sample to measure if you like alcohol in them. It's incredible just the sheer scope of what's going on. There's basically what China has done is essentially achieved its goal in a way of almost preventing any sort of like potential movement for separatism. And it's but it's done that for such a tyrannical and I would say heinous moral means that it's almost incumbent on people of what I would say of somewhat higher moral standards as us to bring attention to this and act upon it and force our leaders and our governments to take the proper means of action as well.
0: If I may say on that, um, there's so much, so many questions I have for you, Go but for it. talking about technology and like their surveillance cameras and that, I know, again, within the documentary, you had mentioned before that people, I can't remember the, the it's called Becoming Family and Homestay are the programs where mm-hmm. They go into your house and these Han Chinese, who actually are government agents, will watch what you're cooking, what your family dynamic is, if you have a Quran, if you are doing anything Muslim, essentially, and and you have to, you know, sing about your pride and your loyalty to the CCP, the, the Communist Party of China, and... Uh, they even have this like a, like a scanning barcode on your door if you were a Uyghur. And mm-hmm. the police can come up with their phone and scan that and then pull up your file and know how many people are in the house or if you're doing something you're not supposed to. Similarly, if you are on the street and a police officer goes up to you and says, give me your phone, they can plug in a wire, read everything on your phone. Uh, if you refuse, you're going to be put in a detention camp. And if like you said, these cameras are picking up your face. So if you are a little anxious, a little nervous, then these cameras will be able to tell. You can be, you know, that, that can be enough for a police officer to detain you. And we've seen, I know President Trump in the United States has been against away, and these Chinese tech companies that are trying to take over. And I never understood that, but this has made me, I don't know if it's conspira- conspiracy theories or not, but I've been like, oh my gosh, TikTok, all these things about spying on us now mm-hmm. i'm starting to understand everything i feel like i didn't before like i i really didn't see a harm in TikTok on your phone or yeah. what, what everyone was saying about it so what are your thoughts and feelings knowing that you have the government who's testing this on the Uyghur population who can who can they have their blood samples their voice samples facial recognition scans their patterns of behaviors everything is documented and logged within these chinese tech companies like hawaii which the united states has banned so where what are your thoughts about this and how it affects us, not just as Jews, but like as a society as a whole?
2: I'll, I'll backtrack a bit and then I'll get right into your question. I think it's a, one thing that's really important to realize is, first of all, how dominance and is gained in the modern world. Before we would often go to war, armies versus armies on a front line shooting at each other. Right now, because of the way that capitalism works, it's essentially profitable to have other people alive in other places so they can buy your stuff. So right now, warfare is fought on like economic and social lines versus traditional. And that's one of the things that China has recognized. That's why despite that their military is the second largest in the world, they don't necessarily use it outside of exerting influence in the South China Sea. They don't use it abroad to gain influence. Because one of the things they've realized and it's this famous quote by Sun Tzu, this ancient Chinese uh, military philosopher was that, um, if you're at war with an enemy that doesn't realize that they're at war, they've already lost. And I don't want to get pessimistic and say we've lost already. But the way that China is exerting influence in our world is in a way that we're not prepared for. And our open society and open systems are not ready for that. For example, Huawei and basically all companies like TikTok and everything that are from China, there's no such thing as like a company of China and that's separate from the government. The government almost essentially owns that company and there's a lot of reasons why that's the case but essentially TikTok will always be just another branch of the Chinese government despite all the and same thing with Huawei despite all the things that we'll say ultimately all these companies have very close ties with the Chinese government they even have uh, communist uh, party members often in their governments as well uh, sorry in, in the companies as well that basically monitor what they're doing and what they know and what China has done is essentially created Uh, different rules different rules for itself as opposed to the rest of the world like for example the chinese yuan is actually not on the foreign exchange market and what that means is china is able to set its own value for its currency and that's why chinese companies are so uh different than western companies because they essentially have the power of a super state behind them that's able to work with them and create them and help them as well so often for example uh i'll hear the arguments like why are you so focused on china apple microsoft google and all these other things they do the same thing they also attract a lot of the our data and also work with the federal government all i'll say to that is like you're starting a non-profit profit from pancreatic cancer there's no reason why you have to be like oh what about lung cancer obviously there are different problems and different uh but they come in different scopes in terms of what's happening with china is very, is on a totally different scale than what's happening here. But to get to your question uh, about like Huawei and all these sorts of things that are happening here uh, in terms of like, for example, a conversation going around banning them. I don't want to sound depressing or sad, but that's like nowhere near good enough. Like I like to use the example of like, let's say it's the 1930s or late 1930s and we banned Volkswagen. Okay, cool. We banned Volkswagen. Is that really moving the needle? Not really. It's a it's nice fluff. It's nice for the headlines. It'll sell uh, to your populace, but it's not truly addressing the problem itself of the tyranny of the repression of the problem itself. And so honestly, whether Huawei is banned or not, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily deal with the main problem. And obviously I'm for that. I'm obviously for any sort of like Chinese government company to not have any sort of footing in our, in our society. But to sell that to people is very tricky because uh, obviously our standard of living will increase exponentially in terms of cost. So it's going to cost a lot more. And that's part of the problem of what I see is that a lot of we essentially put profit over morality. And until we put morality ahead of profit, we're going to be kind of stuck in the same situation of allowing Chinese company Chinese government infiltration into our society, which is sad.
0: Yeah, that is sad. <laughs> do you? I have more questions, but Ray, do you want to have it. questions right now? I honestly
1: have no words. I'm just like trying to take all this in. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's, it's a nice. big deluge, especially if you're not like totally like down the rabbit hole and like super into it. I totally get it.
0: this. Is so good. Like th- this is exactly what what our listeners need to learn about. It's interesting because, as you've said, it's not just it's not just a Muslim like problem. I want to say it's a it's a world problem and yeah. as have, who have gone through genocide and being put in camps and stuff like that, it's something that as the world, it's so interesting, I'm sorry, I'm like side note, but I did, I've done military history courses, I've learned about genocides, we've, we've done courses like that throughout history or politics in university, and everybody says never again, not just in reference to the Holocaust, but throughout whatever genocide. And then you see so many other genocides or so many other cases of hum- inhumanity where you wonder, well, where were they? And it's like, you know, this illusion of Yugoslavia and everybody being murdered or the massacres going on in, was it in Japan when there was, it was terrible. There were so many different massacres mm-hmm. I'm thinking of and genocide and things, but we're seeing this unfold in front of us. And yet I know the first thing, not one of the first things I thought of after watching this documentary was, and there's still people condemning Israel and they're still going after the Jews for their treatment of Muslims. And I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that no other Muslim countries have been going after China for their treatment of the Uyghurs. Mm -hmm. Literally on Google maps, you can see the destruction of mosques and
2: they do, they they say that they need like repairs, but then they just tear them down because they say they're unsafe and And, they never build them back up. And they do a lot of like similar things with like churches as well in China. And uh, that's, there's definitely a lot of, there's a, part of the greatest religious repression happening in China right now, for sure.
0: Which is crazy. And like in the documentary again, but when they went to Kazakhstan, the capital city, where where there's the Uyghur majority and they went into the mosque and they're like, it was empty. It was so weird. And people were, were afraid to go pray. And they're afraid to do that. And they say that if you ask them on the street, what's your religion? They were saying, well, it's the communist party of China. Mm-hmm. You don't want to say i'm I'm muslim and it's just insane that we look at the un and all the every, like everybody condemning israel and how many condemnations it has against it and then you look at china who's doing this and they're getting away with it
2: mm-hmm. yeah like, like it's i'll say two things that first thing is like one of the reasons why they going to the mosque affects their social credit score and social credit score is essentially how the chinese government determines if you're a good citizen or a bad citizen it's on a zero to a hundred scale if i'm not mistaken and having religious knowledge and going to pray regularly that'll put you at risk for going to one of the many detention camps that we mentioned and one thing i'll also say to that kind of tangential is like why is uh, everyone so silent about this uh we when i do when not even say we i don't mean us i mean like the western world has almost allowed this to take place um through various initiatives of bringing china into the global sphere and what i mean by that is specifically like in the 70s like richard nixon reaching out a hand to uh, beijing and bringing them into the world for example on in the u.n taiwan actually used to have the security council seat but then they replaced it with the uh with the chinese with the mainland china also bill clinton inviting china into the uh world trade organization there's so many things that we've done for profit while Almost turning a back, a blind eye to what's the repression, evil tyranny, and definitely it's evil what's happening in China. That it's just kind of it's kind of unfortunate that we put, as I've mentioned already, profit ahead of morality, and uh, it just it, it's honestly quite depressing to know that, uh, specifically in a Jewish context, that we were, we will put money ahead of people's lives and people's dignity and people's survival. So it definitely makes you wonder for sure.
0: Oh my
1: goodness. It does, yeah, I feel like too, it's very much people just don't want to go out of their way to to say anything or change anything or help anybody. It's the same as it's always been with our people. Nobody ever would have batted an eye.
2: Yeah, no, like I, I 100% agree. Like there's this one very famous uh, picture that when I went to one of these rallies that we have here in Vancouver, and I mentioned this to people that were there, this very famous picture of uh, planes flying over, Allied bomber planes flying over Auschwitz, and you see bombs dropping out of the bombing. But they're not dropping in Auschwitz, they're dropping on oil refineries are about uh, about a dozen kilometers away, just by the nature of the projectiles and whatever. And so, and even before that, Jewish partisans and Polish resistance and lots of people were bringing attention to this, but the Allies never bombed Auschwitz. They never bombed a lot of these concentration camps and never did a lot of these things. And you can kind of relate that to what's happening now. We have satellite imagery, we have testimonies, we have leaks from the Chinese government themselves. So there's no none of this like we don't know stuff. Like it's very easy to access this information. China used to actually deny that these camps existed for a time. Now they're basically trying to misconstrue what they actually are. So in that way it kind of makes you wonder it's like how are we kind of allowing this to happen why is this allowing it to happen it kind of makes you question a lot of the values that canada and a lot of western world wants to espouse but when it really comes down to as always as i say before the money money talks unfortunately
0: um i have a question Go so for it. I- From coming from having done Israel advocacy and Jewish advocacy, I know that a lot of people are afraid to get involved because they're afraid of offending somebody or where they stand. And you know, you know this from like doing Israel stuff. I don't want to get involved because I don't know which side's right. How would you talk to them and address this so that you can make them understand this issue and also feel confident in standing up for the weaker people?
2: Totally. So... Uh, I'll say that your question is more so just asking what do you do about apathy, more so. Yeah, Um, that's a
0: good way of putting it, thank you.
2: (laughs) Totally, so I would say that in terms of people, first I'd say a lot of people actually do realize a lot of what's happening with China and people who I wouldn't necessarily call our activist mindsets, when I do speak with them, they do support what I do. I also try very hard to emphasize I'm not uh, an expert, I'm not like, I'm obviously not here. there's a lot I still don't know and I'm still constantly learning. But what I can do is use my voice and promote what I think is the reality of the situations happening in China and in other places as well, like Hong Kong or wherever, to people in my own community and people who are more receptive to me. Because obviously, and, I, and I've experienced this firsthand that when, when you see a topic that seems very distant to you, you're not very inclined to investigate into it. When you see a face or you see someone that's more familiar to you, you might take another keen interest. But going back a second to apathy, what I, what I often try to tell people is that uh, you may not see it right now, but China is exerting already a tremendous amount of like subversion in our society. One of the things that separates China from the Soviet Union is the Soviet Union only ever had hard power To exert its influence. What I mean by hard power, I mean more so military power. China exerts soft power through various means of like companies and media. Uh, Like you can look at, for example, Hollywood and lots of other places how they basically change what they're doing and what they publish in order to sell it to a Chinese market. Um, And there are almost hundreds and hundreds of examples how. Western companies and governments and I'll give you an example for the Canadian government in a second here, how they'll change what they're doing in order to cater to China. And what you and what is really important to realize is when you're catering to China, what are you actually doing? You're essentially saying that it's okay to make business with a genocidal, tyrannical state. So I often say it's like, it's, and I I often will throw out the Nazi comparison because I don't think it's too far off. I really don't. Uh, They may not be chucking people into gas chambers. Sure. In terms of the sheer level of like repression and tyranny that's happening, uh, it's I would say it's very much equivalent. And I would and I often use the Volkswagen example that I mentioned before. It's like, would you would you feel comfortable making business with Volkswagen in the 1930s, knowing what you know now, knowing what's going on there? You wouldn't. Often the often what I try to do is drop seeds into people's minds, and I'll do I'll be open about that. I try to. Because I think it's really important for people to do their own research and do their own uh, investigation because I don't want, it wouldn't be right for me to tell people what to think. I think that if they're able to do the right amount of uh, research and interest in it, they'll come up with the same conclusions that I do. But it's definitely tricky because obviously China is not uh, something we necessarily talk about or think about, probably more so here in Vancouver, where there's a large Chinese population. uh, But definitely in other parts, it's it's definitely apathy is a huge thing in almost anything and that's why a lot of evil things are allowed to take place because of the apathetic populace and in other parts of the world that just don't care in a lot of ways but it's our job to make sure people care
1: exactly and by like going out of our way like you said with hollywood changing things or with our governments trying to do business with china we're really only fueling the fire
2: Mm -hmm. and i forgot my example for the canadian government so uh Uh, Unless this has changed, which I don't think it has, recently the Canadian embassies has decided to install security equipment from a Chinese uh, tech company, despite the fact there was a California company that was actually having a lower price. So around 170 embassies in the world for Canada will have Chinese uh, equipment installed in there for their security systems. which. I don't think I need to explain how just terrible that is. I definitely, I'm, yeah, it's, I think that speaks for itself almost.
1: Yeah, it does for sure. That's, uh, that's not good.
2: But I will say, I will say that I have been recently quite proud of a lot of, um, people in the Canadian parliament, not just conservatives, but also some green party and some NDP people as well, who have actually stepped up and brought, this brought up a lot of issues of China into the Canadian federal government, which I think is great um it's definitely nowhere near where it needs to be but obviously little steps and hopefully we can continue to grow in time to save or do what needs to be done
0: and how did you get involved in with the weaker movement and and human rights so
2: uh i guess the simple short way i can explain it like i grew up in a very like traditional russian jewish family and i feel like half our dinner conversations were about the soviet union and learning about that communism was bad, in the simplest, saying that simply, it kind of gave me those biases and those influences. A lot of little steps down the line, getting into learning new information and different things, that's kind of how we got to this place. It's not just specifically the Uyghur people that I am am an activist for, I'm also for Hong Kong independence, and basically any sort of movement in China against the CCP, 100% support that. Um, But it just kind of realizing the sheer power of China that exists right now and how that's a danger to not just the people, not the immediate danger of the people in China there, but also to us here. Because China will keep growing and will keep exerting its influence. And uh, it kind of goes without saying, I don't want CCP influence ideology here in Canada or basically anywhere in the world. That's kind of the simple way to explain it.
1: So, sorry, on that note, I have a question. Do you think that the Chinese people will actually ever be able to get rid of the CCP?
2: So one of the things I think is very important is to always have hope, no matter what situation. Like, Elie Wiesel talked about this when he was in um, his concentration camps during the Holocaust. Always have hope. Uh, I think the history of China has basically, can be summarized, its dynasties rising, growing, crumbling, falling apart, coming back up. Uh, for basically 5,000 years. I have nothing but hope that eventually the CCP will crumble and fall as all tyrannies have. Like my parents when they lived in the Soviet Union, they thought it would last for a thousand years. It didn't even last for a hundred years. So the CCP is not this like in, it, it's not this like insurmountable thing that will forever persist, but I think there's definitely steps that I we can take in the Western world to accelerate that process of, its eventual downfall in many different steps.
0: So for our audience listening, how can they, what can they do within their own communities, whether they, wherever they are in the world to help, I guess, bring this issue to light and stand up for the Uyghurs?
2: Uh, it's very, I'd say, first of all, it really depends on what type of power and what type of position that person has. But in terms of like very basic things, um, social media, just making posts because, One of the things that China really doesn't like is when people find out about, for example, just the sheer tyranny and violence that exists, like learn about Tiananmen Square, learn about what the Chinese government is doing in its repression in Hong Kong and in Tibet and other places as well. Um, Definitely make connections, organize in your own local communities. I definitely say that the best places to target in terms of activism are universities. Uh, for example, like I shut, I am i don't want to say it was just me, but through a coalition helping and connecting, I managed to get a Huawei event shut down on my campus. Uh, obviously, it makes much more sense to target a university than go to like a little small business that's just trying to get by and call them out on how they're complicit in genocide, which they are, they are, but obviously you want to go for, you don't want to go for the low hanging fruit, you want to go with the universities and target them. Uh, I know specifically, like at my university, they have a UBC China Council, which basically promotes relationship between the university and the Chinese state, which I'll see what I can do with that regard. But as I said, target universities. I'd also say try to live like never again. I realized how insane that is to talk and how insane that is to say, but for example, we're on zoom right now, like a lot of the zoom data is routed through China and the Chinese government has actually shut down uh, in the past. Like, Tiananmen Square Memorial events happening on Zoom. like They literally forced them to be shut down. So I, I realized it's very hard to not be complicit into this. And no one should feel guilty about it. Like, I'm sure probably like some of these books here, my bookshop or this painting or wherever that's behind me, uh, some of it or some of the parts of the screws, whatever is part of the system that, will, that benefits China. Uh, I realize that absolutely. But at the same time, being aware that's a big step in making conscious decisions, conscious changes, reaching out to our Jewish organizations as well uh, for, because I think it's very morally incumbent on Jews specifically to step up and bring attention to this. There's a lot of things you can do. There's no quick, easy button to press to eliminate the CCP, but there are steps that can be taken. And uh, I have hope that if enough people take the steps that are necessary, we can see really positive and meaningful change
0: love it i mean just just even supporting local right now with after after everything with COVID, i think is a great place to start whether you're jewish or not jewish and just reach out to local businesses like you said canada went for the chinese technology instead of supporting california i mean it would have been great if they could even find somewhere in canada they could have supported and likewise the united states and support their own people and their own technology and help rebuild companies and small businesses that have gone under so maybe the first thing you can do if you're listening is start to look at what you can do, kind of support local, support domestic, and then say, same as you're saying, go to your communities. If you are a non-Jew listening to this, reach out to whatever religious organization, political organization. If you're Jewish listening to this, maybe you can find Jake Resnick, we'll put his information uh, below on the show notes or you know, find within your community and see if you reach out to your Jewish community and or whatever it may be and start to say something.
2: Absolutely. And like, one thing I think it's important to realize is like the Chinese people are very separate from the Chinese government as well. And it's very important not to conflate the two because there's A huge amount of like liberal Chinese people who do want, who do seek freedom, who do seek liberate, do seek liberation from the CCP. And I've met a whole bunch of people Here in Canada as well who feel very similar and probably even more passionately than I do about these issues because it hits very hard for them. Um, And so it's there's definitely a lot of support and there's definitely a lot of organizations and things that you can do. And often one thing I'll hear, for example, like in the context of like, uh, you, cause money is power really and using your money to, uh, make smart or I would say like conscious business choices. Some people will say, Oh, that hurts the Chinese people. And I'll say, honestly, it's kind of true in a way, like it does. Obviously when you buy things from one person it benefits the person you're buying it from, um, but at the same time, you have to realize that money is going towards funding almost a tyrannical superstate, and that too. It's it's all it's one of those things where it's it's honestly a little bit depressing. There's there's no way to do. It's very very hard to do things that will have zero net cost to someone at some point. You can obviously try as best you can to maximize that cost to the CCP, but definitely like for example like your local chinese guy at wherever business next to you who is just selling whatever that person's not a threat that person is just trying to get by as everyone else and it's important to really try to separate the um the state from the people in the diaspora and on the mainland as well very tricky
0: thank you for saying that that actually that's a good very good point and i again, yeah, support. Like, you know who your neighbors are, and I think educating is a huge point, but for, there is a huge distinction between the CCP and large government organizations of China, and then your local, like, uh, Chinese businessman next door who also needs help and needs support. Sorry. Exactly.
2: Especially, like, at this, like, Corona time, there's no reason not to help out as best you can.
1: Okay, so I have a, a kind of, Weird question, I guess. With the Chinese government saying in December 2019 that they had released everybody from the learning or whatever wording that they had for it, and COVID at the same time, do you think in any way that those correlate? Uh,
2: from what I know, is that one of the things I've talked about, they haven't actually released everyone. I don't know where that's from. I know that people still, I know people here still have people in these camps. Um, I don't know if this necessarily corona is really I have heard like in some of the activist circles that have been a part of it saying that one of the things that is that corona is actually spreading and in, in some of these like camps and prisons in China. So I don't particularly I can't really say too much to that. I don't I don't know how much they're related as opposed to like it's one of the it's another consequence that happens.
0: Okay. Yeah, that was that was a question I had before. So that's good. Cause I was it was just so interesting in the comments of the documentary it said. Like oh, isn't it coincidence that they supposedly were releasing in December twenty nineteen? Everybody from these vocational, educational, whatever.
2: No, they they still exist. They're still growing.
0: <laughs> oh gosh, it's
1: so bad. Well, it's just crazy timing for both of those things. So, it, never know, right?
2: Mm-hmm, totally, and like obviously we're in a very strange, we're in an unprecedented time, and it's very obviously Corona has very really changed a lot of how our day to day lives being, especially. In some parts of the world more than others, but I think this is a really great opportunity where all of us are like we are right now, kind of in front of our computers. We're able to share and educate ourselves and we have the time to do that, that previously we might not have had. So True,
1: true. Yeah. Um, so how do you think that you can best or we can best show our Jewish pride in everyday life and in activism?
2: I definitely say it's just kind of taking taking the necessary steps to educate yourself and our community about this. I've been really proud and specifically on this topic that we're here speaking about right now. For example, CJA uh, has taken on, uh, put out some very poignant, very hard-hitting statements against this, and we've actually made coalitions with a couple of other minority groups. I don't remember which ones off the top of my head. So I'd say showing a Jewish pride in not just this context of what we're talking about in general is taking the moral uh, stance that needs to be taken and using our voices to push for causes that we are, I think hit very close to us Um, and I think that's how we continue to be the morally righteous chosen people that we are in a lot of ways and so that's, that's probably the biggest step is taking on the necessary causes in education of for example topics that happen in other places as well as our own personal education, of our own uh, religion and our own culture, I think those two things can happen together, and I think that they can together create a better world.
0: I think that's a great answer. Yeah, I, think that's I mean, really that's our job. Effort. Our job is to be the light among the nations, and what better way than by fighting for the people who need it?
2: Absolutely, and you can be, you, and your light grow, Your light will grow brighter and stronger when you do what's necessary, as you said, fighting for other people, as well as when you grow in your understanding of your own self as well. So you can get light from a lot of different sources. As long as you manage to balance those out and do them well, you'll be, a, you'll be a, you'll be a star. You'll be a superstar.
0: Amazing! I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. And if you guys want to find Jake again, we will put all of his information in our show notes, as well as the documentary. Oh, the documentary yes so <laughs> do we know it's on youtube um and there's also the Uyghur human rights project so i'll put a link to that also below so you guys our audience can figure out where to go find it and what to do so they can help out like you have done and be a voice for human rights and the Uyghur people
2: absolutely thank you so much for having me i tremendously appreciate it. this is a, a totally beautiful thing to do on a staff on a sunday morning Um i think this is definitely another huge step for sure. Every little thing like this, it, it builds and builds and grows.
0: Thank you so much,.
1: Cindy. Thank so you so much for coming on the show and teaching us so much about
2: this too. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for organizing this and having me. I'm really blessed and really thankful.